Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA on this Friday, March 18th. As we look at the end of the work week, the trade, green trade specifically, is finding itself a little bit lower weakness, big time in the wheat market, spilling over into corn and soybeans. We'll discuss that at the end of the show with our friend Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. Before we get to Dwayne, though, we have a lot to talk about. In segment two today, we're going to speak with Kyle McMahon. He's the CEO of Tractor Zoom. He has been tracking this machinery market, which no doubt all of you are aware, has been hot, hot, hot. Kyle will share his updates with us in a bit. And segment three, I'm very excited to be speaking with Dr. David Cole, Professor Emeritus at Virginia Tech University. We're going to be talking about what to do to better manage your operation in a period where we're seeing inflation rise, interest rate rise, and energy costs stay astronomical. So do stay tuned. Dr. Dave Cole will be with us here in just a little bit. Before we get into all of that, though, there is one topic that has come up time and time again. I heard it several times when we were at Commodity Classic here a week ago, and that's the topic of carbon markets. We've discussed it on this program before. It's a rapidly evolving area, and there are some folks who are working to make carbon markets more accessible. One of those people, joins us this today rather and that's Jack Jaworski he's the business development director with ecosystem services market consortium and Jack I tell you what that name is a mouthful can you tell us what does EMC do yeah so it is a bit of a mouthful but we also go by ESMC so ESMC is a nonprofit member-based organization launching a national scale ecosystem services market program for agriculture. So basically we're creating a program to reward producers for soil health and the environmental benefits associated with soil health. Okay, that sounds like there is a need for that in the market. Jack, what was it that caused ESMC to be formed? What was the impetus for the creation of this consortium? Uh, that's a great question, Mike. Well, I would point to three things. I'd say first, carbon markets uh, need protocols that work for agriculture. Carbon markets and market rules were originally developed for entirely different systems called point sources of pollution. Basically, these systems, they measured a single identifiable source of pollution, such as at a factory. But agriculture, um, as we all know, is a living biological system, and that's a non-point source. So you can't put a meter on soils. Virtually every protocol was developed for carbon markets without the ag sector at the table. So without farmers and ranchers, and these protocols would not work for the market. So ESMC's testing and refining protocols before we launch to overcome these problems. Second, I point to our members um, who wanted to co-invest in building out a nonprofit carbon market program. So those members include our buyers, such as General Mills, Nestle, PepsiCo, Danone, Tyson, Mars, um, too many to even list. Um, and it was important to them um, that they could work with a market program that would um, function as a nonprofit. We only take fees that cover our operating expenses. Our goal is to provide as much value to the producer as possible. We don't ask producers for, um, need, we don't ask them to purchase any additional supplies or technologies, um, and the whole goal is just to connect the entire ag value chain. And quickly, the third point I'd mention 
is that we want to simplify carbon markets for everyone. So that includes producers, buyers, our on-the-ground partners, really the end-to-end value chain and make participation as easy as possible. And to do that, Jack, I understand that ESMC has been running some pilot programs. You've been actually putting these into practice out there in the country. Can you bring us up to speed on what you've been working on and what could be coming down the pipeline? Absolutely, Mike. So we currently have 16 projects underway across seven program and protocol regions, and those cover more than 55,000 acres. Um, But we are targeting enrollment in this next upcoming year at more than 350,000 to 500,000 acres. So um, to tell you a little bit about these pilot projects, they allow us to work with producers and buyers in specific regions to test our program structure. Um, So whether that's enrollment, payment, sampling, before we launch as a national program this year. We've learned so much, um, and we have worked with incredible producers and producer organizations who took the opportunity to work with us and test the program. Um, And so, okay, yes. No, that's great, Jack. And and while you're testing out these programs, one of the concerns I heard repeatedly down in New Orleans at Commodity Classic, and I'm sure you have heard it a lot, so many farmers over the past 25 or 30 years have adopted measures that do sequester more carbon. But when they look at these carbon markets, they're not going to be paid for those practices that have already been performed. How can that be addressed longer term? What's ESMC looking at? Yes, that's an excellent question, Mike, and something that we hear about frequently too. Um, you know, in the, this, we call it the question of additionality, um, and this question really comes down to what buyers are willing and wanting to pay for. Um, and I like to use the example of, let's say you wanted a whole bunch of people to buy red cars, right? Um, you wouldn't want to pay people that already own red cars because that wouldn't make any difference. Um, You'd want to find the people that don't currently have red cars. Um, A very simple example for you. But the real idea is people who have already made these practice changes and, you know, are low-tailing or no-tailing or have cover crops, at this point it's it's kind of business as usual. And what companies need to pay for are new practices, new things on the ground, additional impact. So I'm not sure it's fair, and I think there's a role to play um, for our organizations in Um, perhaps a a collaboration between the private and public sectors to figure out how to reward those producers, because I do think that there's a lot of value and a way to reward people who already have these practices on the ground. Jack, one of the most recent announcements you folks have made is a partnership with Benson Hill. Can you talk about what this is going to be doing specifically for the growers that might be enrolled in it? Yes. Thanks, Mike. So, yes, we're excited to announce the partnership with uh, Benson Hill this week. We started working with them last year to test out the pilot with soybean growers um, in Indiana. We look forward to a continued partnership in 2022 as we enroll more participants. And as we noted in a recent press release, this collaboration with Benson Hill is particularly unique because of Benson Hill's closed-loop business model. So this model gives Benson Hill the ability to leverage its, its data aggregation basically from the plant to the plate. This simplifies the process of gathering producer data since Benson Benson Hill already has that data, it can really streamline enrollment for producers. So Jack, if producers are curious about the ESMC program, and I'm talking farmers on the ground, is it time for them to join? What would be required? How do they participate in this market? Um, Great question. So if producers want to participate in a carbon market, I would just encourage them to 
arm themselves with knowledge, read the contracts, um, and make sure they know exactly you know, how these programs um, are verifying and certifying their credits, who their buyers are. Um, ESMC um, I think is an excellent option. I would encourage you to look at our website to learn more about how to enroll in our program. Fantastic, folks. Do be sure to check that out. This issue of Carbon and Carbon Markets isn't going anywhere. It's here to stay. Let's make sure we can get all the information we can to make informed decisions. Jack Jaworski, thanks for talking to us today. Thanks for having me. And folks, stay tuned. When we return, Kyle McMahon, CEO of TractorZoom, will join us and we'll look at just what's going on in this machinery market. Stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. 54. So basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. 
tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making us a part of your day. And for a lot of us, a lot of our days in agriculture, at least in, in my day, was reading the magazines to see what's for sale in the used equipment market. And of course, that technology has continued to change and the market has gotten very exciting to say the least over the past two years throughout this covid pandemic to help us make sense of the where that where the used machinery sits right here in 2022 joining us now is kyle mcmahon he's the ceo of tractor zoom and kyle heading into the end of 2021 the used market was hot 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 we're now into 2022 has it cooled off at all hey mike thanks for having me on you know i think a lot of people expected equipment prices to start falling or, or really taper off in the turn of the, of the end of the year. Uh, what we saw was the exact opposite. Commodity prices continued to rally, um, continued equipment shortages, and no, equipment prices are continuing to climb. When you think about where this is the hottest, we heard from Kurt Blades on Monday here on the show about the February tractor sales and those 100 horsepower, the big row crop tractors were moving hot off of dealer lots. Kyle, in the used market, is that where you're seeing the most heat as well? Yeah, it is. As we look at the data across our entire platform, uh, we helped market about $7 billion of farm machinery last year. And so we can really look at all of that inventory to help understand where the market is going and we track it on a on a daily basis. Yes, row crop tractors are the hottest, um, specifically 300 horsepower and above um, manual front wheel assist and four-wheel drive tractors are, are the hottest right now. And as you dig down deeper into those segments, if it's a sub 1,000 horsepower tractor, um, they're, they're bringing uh, <laughs> pretty wild prices today. It is absolutely incredible. Kyle, you mentioned Tractor Zoom has overseen $7 billion worth of equipment sales. That is a pile of data. In the world we live in, data is king. Can you talk to me about how Tractor Zoom is, is utilizing some of that data? How can, how can farmers listing maybe uh, capture some of that value? Yeah, um, gr great point. So we have a website called TractorZoom.com, um, simply that farmers can go look at farm equipment. Um, and really what we're doing differently is we're leveraging all of that data from over 550 auction companies and about 1,100 dealer store locations. Um, and then we're, we, we apply data science to it to help people start to make uh, easier decisions. So really understanding where that market is. Here recently, <clears throat> we launched a price prediction tool that uh, we're leveraging all the past comparable sales from auction inventory whether they be combines, tractors, planters, sprayers, whatever it might be, we're starting to leverage that data to, and, and then putting them through uh, various algorithms to help uh, identify what, uh, what would something sell for at auction. So um, that's been a really uh, popular feature at TractorZoom.com. 
for example, there was a 2013 8335R with about 2,500 hours uh, that sold in southwest Iowa yesterday, and we predicted it itself for 225,000 that sold for 220,000. So really starting to help farmers understand, you know, what is the data suggesting and, and trying to make it easier for people to see that information uh, as they're starting to shop. Kyle, as you talk to folks throughout the machinery ecosystem, are we seeing these hot sales right now? Because obviously we're, we're heading into planting season, spraying seasons just around the corner, and supply chains are still in disorder. Is that what is driving these growers to acquire additional pieces of machinery or backup machinery? Is that what's going on? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's pretty spot on. What we're really seeing is, a, is supply and demand playing out. So we saw uh, call it break-even crop prices and in, in production from 2015 to 2020-ish. And uh, uh, a lot of farmers delayed uh, newer equipment purchases during that time period. And then all of a sudden, we had high net farm income and um, expected profitability in 2021 going into 2022. And this was a perfect time for every farmer to upgrade, whether they were going from a 10-year-old machine to a 5-year-old machine or a 5-year-old machine to a brand-new machine. Um, but then it was a lack of supply. And what we actually see in the market, what we call um, uh, asset accumulation, and normal trade cycles weren't happening. You know, if you think back to COVID where uh, people were hoarding all the toilet paper, similar things are existing in, in the equipment market, whether they be parts, uh, you have something break down and people are instead of just replacing that part, they're ordering three. Um, instead of trading in their combine, they're buying a second one because they need to be uh, timely in the fields and they don't want to risk that downtime and then not being able to get those machines or pay uh, what they might think is crazy prices to, uh, to get that equipment that they need um, during critical times of, of agriculture. So, you know, that continues to play a really big role uh, in what we're seeing in the equipment, in the equipment market. Um, and I think OEMs are, are continuing to struggle uh, not just in agriculture, but uh, every every type of market uh, throughout the world is is continuing to struggle on producing new equipment, and uh, that's really starting to show uh, in this in this market. Is we're starting to hover around six seven dollar corn, and that's sticking. That continues to fuel the fire, and people wanting to upgrade uh, so they can try to create a more profitable operation using better advanced technology inside uh, machines. Yeah, I mean, if you've got the cash, buy when you can, not when you have to, of course, is the old saying. But Kyle, you said something that makes me a little bit nervous for those folks who might be looking at retirement in the next couple of years, or perhaps a transition away from the, the operation. Asset accumulation, when that happens, typically we tend to see a whiplash effect when all of those assets that have been acquired might need to roll back onto the market for cash flow reasons or whatever. Are you concerned, are, are the folks at TractorZoom concerned that we could see a stop, a steep drop-off? In, in the value of this used machinery once the supply chain gets fixed? Yeah, um, I, I think that's naturally uh, a big concern and something that we're, we watch. We don't watch it too closely right now because the supply chain is so constricted. But uh, that will be something that we continue to, to, to evaluate, and I'm sure we'll do it on a more often basis as, uh, uh, towards the end of this year. But I, I think one of the biggest uh, uh, areas of concern with a lot of our dealer uh, dealers that uh, dealer partners that list on tractor zoom is when might this turn south when will a 
a, a tractor that's selling 30% more uh, than it was last year? When will that start to even out? And, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things at play as, as new equipment prices continue to climb really aggressively, that's going to also inflate the used market. So that new equipment um, price tag will always affect the used market, and it will be very interesting watching how a lot of this inventory comes back to the market from a use perspective. I don't really foresee, there's so many bullish economists out there in agriculture, we don't foresee over the next one to two years a, uh, a bulk load of equipment coming back to the market. So instead of a, I think what we're seeing today, instead of a steep cliff drop off, we'll start to see kind of an evening out because there's a lot of farmers on the, on the sidelines um, not willing to accept the current price tags of used machinery that it'll start to level off and you'll bring buyers back out of the market. That makes sense. Kyle, one of the interesting things over the past several years, this move towards online auctions selling globally, truly not just in your geography, how has that changed the market? Are you seeing prices pretty well stable across equipments, across geographies? Is the internet leveling the playing field? Yeah, it completely is. That's a, that's a really interesting point. You know, um, before COVID hit, uh, I, our, our data would suggest about 50% of, uh, 50 to 70% of the equipment was sold um, on, on the lot. And, uh, you know, only 20 to uh, really 40%, depending on the auction, was sold uh, online. So as COVID hit, in-person auction stopped, and farmers were forced to adopt online bidding. Um, and I think people have gotten very comfortable with it. Uh, so yes, we're seeing uh, an increasing increasing amount of sight unseen or or online buying and just shipping it in. Um, so it's starting to level the playing field, but you'll still continue to see areas of, of lower yield. Um, uh, this even rings true in the real estate farmland market. Of lower yields, it, it might be a little bit softer uh, from an equipment price perspective, or uh, having to factor in logistics of shipping, uh, you know, a 300 horsepower tractor in from California to Iowa. So, you know, there, there's always those stigmas and, and understanding that geography, but uh, it is starting to level the playing field, Mike. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, adjusts with, you know, four or $5 diesel fuel. Kyle, for listeners who are curious about using that price prediction tool, where can they go to access it? Yeah, if you go to tractorzoom.com, and look at upcoming uh, equipment selling at auction. We've launched this price prediction, helping farmers understand what our data suggested it should sell for at auction. Um, they can simply go look at a tractor that has the price prediction feature on it. We've only launched it for about 40 uh, models today, and we'll continue to, look a... to expand that. Um, yeah, it will continue to look to expand Very cool. that. So, Perfect. Thank you so much, Kyle McMahon of TractorZoom. Folks, check them out, TractorZoom.com, and come back to AOA. We'll be talking to Dave Cole in a second. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Now a National Ag Day message brought to you on behalf of Growmark and its FS and Grain member cooperatives. American agriculture is the foundation of our country. It's the backbone of a healthy and prosperous nation made possible by the hard work of America's farms and farm families who lead the way in preservation and innovation for the health of our planet. Join the Agriculture Council of America in celebrating National Agriculture Day on March 22nd. Agriculture, growing a climate for tomorrow. 
The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we take a look at the market trade here on this Friday, the extreme volatility continues in the graded soy markets. Weekend war developments are likely to keep it that way early next week. Wheat and veg oil markets, including soy oil, under severe pressure here to begin early on Friday. Didn't see any new export sales announcements this morning as well. And the wheat and veg oil uh, pullback is pulling on corn and soybean prices here this morning as we're down just slightly here in the corn and bean markets. And really just working through all of this volatility in the trade. A lot of things we're keeping our eye on. Drought in South America, fertilizer shortages, the Ukraine war, all combining to dramatically tighten grain and oilseed supplies this year with a growing list of world leaders now sounding the warning that we could see food shortages stretch from Pakistan across to North Africa over the next 12 to 18 months. This will make a large safrina corn crop in Brazil, followed by a large Midwest crop essential this year. There's very little margin for error over the coming year. Let's take a look at some numbers right now. May corn down 10 and a half, 744. December corn down five at 640. May beans nine lower, 1659 and a half. November down eight and a quarter, 1461. Bean meal for May, $1.40 a ton higher, 475.50. May beet oil down 221 points, 72.42. May Chicago wheat 21 and three quarters lower, 1076 and a quarter. May Kansas City wheat down 17 and three quarters, 1074 and a half. May Minneapolis spring wheat seven lower at 1072. April live cattle down seven, 139.40. June down 17, 135.75. March feeder cattle up 45 at 157. April hogs up 22, 157. And May up 22, 108.22. Crude oil up 14 cents a barrel, 103.12. Dow Jones up 23 points. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very excited to speak with our next guest. If you are in the world of ag finance, you have no doubt heard a presentation from Dr. David Cole. He is the Professor Emeritus of Ag Finance and Small Business Management at Virginia Tech. He's a dairyman, a dairy processor, a farmer, and a highly regarded speaker. And I am very thrilled he's joined us today. Dr. Cole, thanks for talking to us on AOA today. Well, Mike, it's uh, great to be here from the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains. (laughs) All right. Let's talk a little bit, Dr. Cole, about the current big market perspective. We saw producer price inflation is 10% year over year. Consumer CPI inflation is rising. Where do you think this is going? We've heard it was transitory. Now that verbiage has been dropped. What's your take on this inflationary pressure? Well, my take is, uh, if you look at the contributors to inflation, uh, and particularly our ag producers, it's energy. We got too far out in front of the ski as far as this green energy, and we disinvested in fossil fuels. And as long as we have high energy prices, Mike, uh, we're going to have inflation. And, you know, that's eight out of every $10 a farmer or rancher spends because fertilizer, you know, sprays, all those types of things are connected. And so... We're going to have some permanency there, uh, you know, as long as we have turmoil in the uh, fossil fuels. The other thing, too, Mike, uh, we had $7 trillion of stimulus, uh, but 14% of the $85 trillion world economy was checks written by government in Europe, United States, uh, Japan. And so we have a dollar twenty-three of money chasing $0.92 cents of goods. And any time you have that, you're going to have inflation. So those two aspects, the inflation uh, is going to be, uh, you know, with us here for a while. That was a fascinating comment you made there. A dollar twenty-three is out there floating around in the ether, and it's chasing ninety-two cents worth of good goods. Doctor Cole, if energy prices continue to climb, and we were thinking four or five-dollar diesels in the cards right now, would this be enough over the course of a year to to bring inflation down? Obviously, that is a huge hit to consumers' bottom line, to businesses' bottom lines. Would that would that do good to eliminate inflation, or would that just slam the brakes on the economy? Well, that's one of the things. We call it demand destruction, Mike. And generally speaking, you'll get demand destruction. This is nationwide prices, somewhere around 450 a gallon on um, uh, gasoline. And, of course, it was what, 431 the other day. And so one of the things I'm really looking at is this whole thing of demand destruction, not only on gasoline and diesel fuel, uh, because uh, people put their brakes on the uh, Economy. The jet airplane I took in from uh, Atlanta uh, to Roanoke the other night had uh, $50,000 of jet fuel on it. Uh, and if that continues, one of the things is those airline tickets go up, you're going to have demand destruction. So demand destruction in commodities, we've got to watch real close, Mike. And I don't care if we're talking wheat, corn, and beans, because what can happen is, I call it the flipper, and you know what the flipper is? It's when the commodity prices come off, but the costs don't. There's usually about a 12 to 14 or 12 to 20 month lag effect where, boy, we can flip uh, negative margins real quickly. So I'm really watching for flipper. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's the concern that's on everybody's mind is when we get to these elevated levels, there's the risk of a cliff or at least a big drop down. As you think about that cliff, Dr. Cole, we heard from a Fed chair, Jerome Powell, earlier this week, expecting six rate hikes throughout this year that coupled with higher energy prices, w would it be enough to, to suck some of these dollars out of the economy? Or do you think they might end up having to go bigger faster? Well, here, here's the whole thing, and I'm just going to say this. I'm going to be very candid. The Fed cannot cure inflation itself because they didn't create inflation itself. It was all the government stimulus. It was our supply chains. Of course, now what we've got going on in Russia, uh, those elements are there. And here's what happens, Mike. Uh, yeah, they talked about six increases. Uh, James Bullard, uh, St. Louis Fed, said, oh, we need to raise interest rates 3%. Well, one of the things is you can cure inflation if you put the economy into recession. So they're going to play a fine balance uh, uh, there. And uh, I, I, hey, uh, Mike, the 1980s, I, I was around during the 1980s. And so they're going to be walking a very tight line. And to all the producers out here, when you increase interest rates, what happens to the value of the dollar uh, goes up? And what does that do? Uh, inhibits exports. <laughs> It does. I mean, that's the, we've got the pincher effect potentially coming into play in ag, and that makes me worried about management, Dr. Cole, which is your forte. As producers are looking at this extreme price volatility, you know, wheat's up 85 cents, then she's down 85 cents. How how do you advise producers to to manage their their mindset through this sort of volatility? Well, I'll tell you, Mike, uh, and of course, you and I are on programs uh, together, but uh, I, I'm a firm believer you've got to uh, build working capital on that uh, balance sheet, that top half of that balance sheet, current assets, current liabilities, and then that is working capital. And it's real interesting. I follow the FinBen data, our University of Minnesota. The top 20% of producers have 44%. The bottom uh, 20% of profitability have 11%. you got to remember, Resiliency and agility is equal to working capital. I don't care if it's a country, a business, or a personal household. The choke point is always financial liquidity, Mike. And so, boy, everything they can do to preserve that is critical. It certainly is. And how do we need to be adjusting that mindset as we're thinking working capital? You mentioned that flipper potentially coming ahead. As you think about 2023 or 2024, how can long-term plans be made when everything is as crazy as it is right now? Well, hopefully some of those government stimulus checks our ag producers received, they put it into working capital. But here's the other thing. They're going to have to work real closely with their agricultural lender. And one of the things is they may have to uh, structure some things to uh, build that uh, working capital and preserve that working capital. And this whole aspect, Mike, of looking at our financials one time a year for the tax uh, reason, that's out the window in 2023, 2024. We're going to have to be monitoring it quarterly, maybe monthly. And uh, it's line-by-line -line management. Knowing your cost of production, Mike, it's not an option. It's a requirement to be, be able to develop a marketing and risk management plan, uh, very, very critical. And so those are some of the elements that I, when I'm speaking to groups, and actually at managing our business, we're week to week uh, cash flows. And uh, we've actually found it very beneficial in this uh, volatile environment. 
Interesting. Get in there, learn those numbers, study those numbers, see where they go. Dave, you said that you have been talking to lenders, and of course, that is a, a main role of yours, speaking to, to ag lenders across the country. As we think about lending requirements and the, the availability of credit, banks are, are awash in cash right now. Do you yeah. see lending requirements changing in the short term? Yeah, you know, it's right now, if you look at portfolios, I don't care if it's farm credit banks or farm service agencies, the strongest they've ever been. And so they're out of flushing cash. But again, a flipper can occur there because uh, one of the things we have to be very concerned that happened in the 1980s, regulators, uh, all of a sudden they see headlines, you know, in the Washington Post, uh, New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, that, you know, this sector like ag's in trouble. They can tighten credit down very, very quickly, and I want everyone to be aware of that. Uh, matter of fact, we've got a situation now in China where President Xi flipped the real estate. We're regulating, and it's thrown the whole sector into problems. So, again, uh, I'm kind of sounding like a radical out there, but, boy, be careful because it can flip on you real quickly, uh, particularly if we start seeing all these negative margins. So get that financial household and the business in, you know, strong position in case that occurs. Yes, indeed. You mentioned regulators, Dr. Cole. We're seeing some potential changes at the Fed. Where does the regulatory emphasis sit here in this Biden administration? Are they currently looking favorably at agriculture, broadly speaking? Well, let's put it this way. Right now, agriculture is kind of off the screen, uh, to be very, very blunt. But uh, the uh, uh, potential appointee that was uh, uh, coming in, uh, he was very, very negative on fossil fuels. You know, that discouraged banks and lenders that too low into fossil fuels. Well, uh, let's put it this way, uh, she's no longer uh, in the running. And so you're going to have to watch these appointees very, very quickly. And even if they're appointed for the general economy, Mike, uh, it ripples down to the uh, agricultural economy. So everybody kind of keep on your radar screen. Uh, these uh, point is right now, I think we dodged a bullet. <laughs> Yeah, that was Sarah Bloom Raskin. Her her nomination has been withdrawn. So now I suppose we're waiting on another nomination to see who could fill that role and the name we should be talking about in regard to these issues. Yeah, well, no, and there's going to be a couple more that come down. And again, it's nothing against her. It's just kind of her philosophy on fossil fuels. And, you know, sometimes uh, uh, I can just say this, uh, they they'll lack some common sense and uh, you know you just don't flip a switch uh, and again I'm not against green energy etc cetera, etc cetera, but uh, uh, fossil fuels is uh, you know very very critical and boy you shut that down uh, you can throw not only US economy but the world economy into slow growth we certainly can Dr. Cole so much to think about in 2022 and beyond I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today Hey, Mike, keep up the good work. Awesome joy working with you. And folks, stay tuned. When AOA returns, we'll be talking to Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing about what to do in these markets. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes. Go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe... Someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription. Has an address in the United States has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. 
If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to be speaking with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing from Britain, South Dakota in just a moment. Before we do, quick update of the markets as we sit here and prepare to conversate about them. Corn's down 12 to 15 cents. Beans are down 9 to 12 cents. We're seeing wheat down big again, 29, 22 cents in the Chicago contracts. A little bit of weakness as we head into the weekend. Dwayne Bussey, thanks for joining me. Watching this corn market, We've been in an 11, 12 cent range here for the past 10 days. Where do you see it going from here in the old crop market? Yeah, well, the old crop market, you're right. We've been in this narrow range, and it's actually gotten the market a little bit bored, hasn't it? It's surprising to say bored in because it's a big range. I mean, you think you could trade it back and forth, but it doesn't seem like anyone's having the best of luck doing it. So the volume is really dropping. Uh, Today looks maybe just a little bit better than previous days, but uh, light volume means that there's less speculating going on and and hence the sideways pattern. We need to break out of it to get the next leg. And I guess I'm going to have to say we break it to the upward side. The battle in Ukraine just seems like it's going to keep going on. And and I know there's every once in a while peace talks uh, that fire in the headlines, but then when you hear Putin's responses, it sure doesn't sound like he wants peace anytime soon. So uh, the longer that war goes on, the more uncertainty about their new crop, uh, their ability in Ukraine to plant that new crop. And hence, probably a higher trade is needed then. Well, and as we're thinking about the crop that's preparing to go in the ground, of course, we've got the American crop. We're having that discussion about acres. We'll talk that in just a minute. We've got that Ukrainian crop that remains to be seen. And of course, the supply growing right now in Brazil, Dwayne, that safrina crop, there was concern that weather might be an issue for this crop as it develops. As we sit today, what are you hearing from down in Brazil? How does that safrina crop look? We're not hearing much, which means the crop is in good shape. You know, the markets will hear about it if the drought is continuing, but it's not really. Rains have picked up in South America, and actually the weather market is is kind of bearish right now. There's actually some talk this morning that uh, Brazil could have a a record crop of corn yet, despite the lower, sharply lower soybean production this year, due to the the late rains helping that safrina crop. And, And maybe that shifts China, which obviously we got some tensions with them right now, or U.S. and Russia, U.S. and China, I mean, 
maybe China holds off and doesn't buy as much corn as I was hoping from us old crop-wise. Maybe they wait for this large crop out of Brazil. Well, and I think that's the next question then, Dwayne. If Brazil's going to have a huge crop, what is that? What risk, I guess, does that set up for December new crop Chicago corn futures? Uh, you know, it, it, not a whole lot yet at this point in time. You know, the risk would be, you know, maybe to July or September that we could go lower if our exports slow down. But, boy, the last two weeks, the exports have been very good. And, and I don't think China can wait that long. They wanted the corn out of Ukraine. I don't know if they're going to wait for the corn to come out of Brazil. So they're obviously buying some of our corn now. So really that new crop, I don't think that's going to have too much pressure on that. But you mentioned the acreage battle coming up, obviously. You know, boy, I, acres are a big deal when it comes to new crop prices. It certainly is. And do you think we're going to have a pretty good guess here from the USDA at the end of March? Is that what the trade is watching for right now? I think that's what the trade's really going to shift and start talking about next week. You know, will be that March 31st planning intentions report. And we've got to remember that's just planning intentions. They, they can be a little high or they can be a little skewed, and then we the market's job after that will be to straighten it out. But I've been playing with my spreadsheet this morning looking at acres. When I look at corn by itself, I think, wow, 650 new crop corn, you know, that's going to buy acres. We're going to be around 93 million just like last year. And then the problem, I go to look at uh, soybeans, and I go, whoa, our soybean supply is way too tight, and I feel like i got to go back to the corn balance sheet and, and lower the acres down to $91 million. So if the planning intentions do come out high, like at $93 million, I think the market's job, uh, the soybean market's job, is going to be to rally maybe sharply in November to pull some acres away from corn. Okay, so you'd be expecting that we're going to have to see the bean market this the 1450 and change where Novi sits isn't going to cut it against 640 corn is is your thought. That that is my thought. And maybe that sounds a little crazy because when when I hear you say 1460 1450 area it's like, wow, that's not high enough to buy acres Dwayne. it sounds silly, but the biggest problem I have Mike is from really almost last year the total principal crop acres around that 314 million. It's just not enough. Um, you know, I've been in North Dakota recently and talking to producers there. They're excited about other specialty crops. I mean, barley, sunflowers, obviously spring wheat now with the Ukraine tensions. They're back to wanting to plant that. So then the soybean acres get pulled down lower, it seems like. Uh, it's a little surprising. So I know it sounds a little odd, but no, I, I don't think 1450 is enough. That is something else. We are living in interesting times indeed. Dwayne, before we let you go, this cattle market, where do you see us headed into this next week ahead of that cattle on feed report? Uh, it's sideways maybe at best to lower. I mean, we, we had a nice little bounce recovery, but I, I'm afraid that's what it was, was a bounce. I don't think nearbys can get above 140 and stay there. I we got too much cattle on feed right now, so in the short term, I'm bearish. Longer term, we'll see. I think the cattle on feed reports will flip to be bullish, but maybe not this month. That's a couple of months down the road. Reason being, I think the cattle came off of these winter wheat pastures early this year, got on feed. So there's going to be a little hole in the production market, I guess, a little bit later this spring. Okay. Dwayne? The hog market, that has been on fire. It seems as though we've maybe peaked. Is that your impression or am I misreading the situation? No, actually, you nailed it. Uh, I, I do kind of think we've peaked. Uh, exports were good yesterday, but the market ended up trading lower anyway, and that's uh, that's not good when we close lower on some bullish news, but probably rightfully so. These summer contract months, I, I screwed up. I think we maybe should have been selling and hedging above 120 
Now we're back around that 117 area, but probably still a place to sell. I, uh, China's hog herd is, is rather large now again. I don't see them buying a lot of hogs from us. So therefore, come summertime, I don't think we can stay up here, even though our hog numbers domestically are low. But you know, recession sets in, that's going to pull our prices down, too. Oh, that's certainly well something to watch for. Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing, thank you so much for sharing your insight today. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Mike. And folks, tune in on Monday. We'll talk DC policy with Jackie Fatka and weather with John Baranek of DTN. We'll see you on Monday here for AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.